welcome to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Thank you, Luke, for that introduction. Uh, welcome, everyone, to episode 10 of the COO Roundtable. We started this podcast in January of this year, and so far we've been publishing uh, one episode per month, so here we are 10 months in, and this experiment has exceeded all of our expectations here at PFI Advisors. We have had some incredible guests. They've shared some deep insights into how they run their firms and how they think about professional management in general. I've been telling a lot of people lately that I think we are probably still four years early But at some point, the RIA industry collectively will transition from thinking of themselves simply as advisors who take care of clients to owners of businesses that serve both clients and employees. In the meantime, we will just keep putting out content through our blog posts, white papers, and of course this podcast to better deliver on our mission, which is to further evolve the RIA industry from a collection of practices to businesses and to be a continued voice in validating the industry as a legitimate landing spot for billion-dollar teams and their clients. One of the many missions of this podcast is to help RAs think through processes, procedures, and strategies in running a business, not simply a lifestyle practice. I recently moderated a panel with Stacey McKinnon of Morton Capital. She was also a guest here on episode four of the podcast, and Stacey very nonchalantly mentioned from the stage that it takes an employee 72 steps to open a custodial account, confirm that the assets have transitioned from the former firm, and then notify the client that the account transfer was complete. And the entire audience's collective mouths dropped, not by the fact that there are 72 steps, but by the fact that Stacy had actually taken the time to document each of those steps and build out a workflow around the entire process. And I know I'm completely nerding out right now, but I wanted to point out that it takes that level of commitment and that level of detail to run an efficient enterprise. Many of our listeners have met and or seen Stacy speak at various events, so you all know that she is completely obsessed with the client experience and even more obsessed with the employee experience as well. She wants her employees working as efficiently as possible, and everyone at the firm wants assets transferring as quickly as possible, and obviously the client will benefit from that level of detail as well. And so with that realization around those 72 steps, and then thinking about the tremendous work that all COOs perform on a day-to-day basis throughout our industry, and with us reaching a nice round number of 10 episodes, I thought it would be fun to do a recap episode of our podcast and highlight some of the practice management gems that our guests have brought to our podcast this year. So here we go. Uh, The podcast was actually born on the heels of our COO white paper that we put out last October. And it earned a lot of attention and led us here at PFI Advisors to declare 2019 to be the year of the COO. And in that white paper, we conducted interviews with five COOs and or professional managers of their businesses. They collectively managed about 20 billion of AUM. And I had so much fun conducting those interviews. I turned to my team at one point as we hung up with one of the interviewees and I said, my God, I wish I could do this as a living. And they immediately said in unison, well, heck, let's do a podcast. As with everything that's been a success here at PFI, me and my infinite wisdom, I was skeptical at first. I thought, well, no one wants to listen to a bunch of nerdy ops folks talking about workflows. But I slowly came around, and as we got closer and closer to launching, I realized that one of the missions of this podcast needed to be highlighting the human side of the COO role. I think too many people in our industry assume the COO job is purely a technology position, and they feel they should just go hire a programmer or a technology expert. 
And I truly believe that 75% of the COO's core responsibility is tied up in HR and the psychology associated with change management across the organization. In our white paper, we identified three core responsibilities for chief operating officers. Number one is simply the day-to-day -day administration of the firm. Two is driving workflow improvements. And then three is that ever important human resources component. Uh, that's where the COO is recruiting, developing, and retaining employees and staff as the firm looks to provide a high-touch service to an ever-expanding client base. And it was with those three core responsibilities in mind that we recorded our first couple of episodes with those same COOs that we had interviewed for the white paper. Episode one featured Jeff Furman of Coastal Bridge Advisors and Tony Cron of Sandhill Global Advisors. Tony had some great insights around how RIAs can compete for talent, especially when they're being compared to the big name brand wirehouses. We as independent RIAs offer wonderful career opportunities for young people, especially because it's, uh, it's, it's a chance to try something, to take on something. There's things that are laying around untouched. You want to try that? Go for it. No one else has time for it. And so my sales pitch, if you call it that, to folks working at wirehouses, I was going to lose on compensation, to be frank. Silicon Valley uh, and Sand Hill Road is, is quite uh, a, a behemoth in terms of compensation for people in this industry. But I had opportunity and I had career growth. And I started by bringing people who saw a career path here and opportunities to touch things that were untouched and went from there. And Jeff offered up a strategy that I actually had never heard of before. Take a listen. What we've done is spend a significant amount of time drafting highly detailed descriptions of every single role in the, in the organization, laying out functional responsibilities and expectations, and to make sure that they're uh, fresh, if you will, the employee and their manager review them every 90 days to ensure consistency and, and, and that agreement between those two people. Um, beyond performance management, this, this helps us with training and development, career pathing, and, and, and even resource allocation. So it's a, it's a key element of our human resources strategy. Jeff also had an amazing summary of his role as the professional manager of the organization. I mean, I think it's about uh, a build it and they will come type strategy. Um, my role, or at least the way I see my role, is to, to build a suite of services to support our advisors build, sustain, and grow their business. Um, and the concept there is true for existing advisors, but also for those we'll bring on. So we think we've built an attractive engine and we, we continually need to evolve, but that engine offers tremendous value to those currently inside and could potentially to, to prospective outsiders. Um, so our, our M&A strategy as a firm is, is really built around that. I mean, we've got to keep our house in order and, and as long as our house is in order, so too uh, we'll find opportunities for, for those to come in. I really love that. And with episode two, uh, we continued with the COOs that were profiled in our white paper. We were joined by Gary Bonner of Avalon Advisors and Mike Lee of Lord Murray. They both offered up a ton of gems. I especially like their take on one of my favorite debates that I often pose during these interviews. And that's how should an RIA or any business for that matter, juggle the seemingly contradictory concepts of profit versus growth? 
Mike had this to say. I mean, we have to focus on both. I would add the little detail that I think growth, we, we help more in an indirect capacity in the form of enablement and, and the servicing infrastructure that we oversee to, to support the growth. And then from a profit standpoint, it's a more direct responsibility. So it, it's always both. And, you know, you can't, you can't keep people happy and developing because at the end of the day, we're a human capital business. Uh, and you can't you can't help people develop in their own careers uh, and team members develop without growing uh, because costs are going to go up whether you decide to grow or not, right? And Gary provided his thoughts on the debate by saying, It's growth, but in a profitable way. Uh, as one of my uh, partners uh, likes to say, you know, we can't pay out quarterly distributions to investors unless we have profits. And we don't have profits unless we're growing the assets yeah. in a profitable way. So going out and just uh, adding assets where there's no reasonable expectation of revenue uh, is not the way to grow. It would be better to grow from the investor perspective that it, you know the next dollar actually is generating a profit versus just showing up uh, on an AUM report when there's no revenue associated with it. So, uh, so growth, but in a profitable way. I also loved Gary's take on his job as the COO at Avalon Advisors. I think that my role is essentially to kind of be the grease and the gears that keeps everything running smoothly. So of the three things that you've highlighted, I think all of them are important. Mm -hmm. Um, And I agree with Mike that, that we have to be very broad and all the things that we're good at. We may have certain things that we're really deep uh, and knowledgeable on, but we have to have a, good general sense of everything uh, across the firm, uh, you know, from the HR perspective, all the way through technology, through uh, customer service, through uh, just to the day-to-day admin. Um, When you and I were talking uh, about, you know, during the white paper, when you're writing the white paper, you know, I I, I said one of the things I've done, um, actually it was in our previous office space, is I hung about 95 different you know, pictures and maps and flags <laughs> on the wall um, j- just because somebody had to do it. I love how he keeps all three constituents in mind, the clients, employees, and then the firm itself. Episode three was a deep dive into technology and how it can be used to enhance the client experience. For this discussion, we turned to Trevor Chuna and Sean Kapazinski, both at Sequoia Financial Group. Trevor was highlighted in our white paper, and Sean is a huge hero to COOs throughout our industry. Sean has done more for the COO role than we here at PFI Advisors ever will. Sean founded an organization called Hyphen, H-I-F-O-N. It stands for High Impact Financial Operations Network. And in 2010, Sean was the director of operations at Sequoia, and he thought, well, I should just reach out to other operations professionals, ask them how they handle their job, and juggle the many responsibilities that are thrown at ops folks in our industry. And he went looking for a community of like-minded professionals that he could share best practices with. But that community didn't exist yet, so he built it himself. At the time of our recording in February of 2019, Hyphen had over 200 members and has become a tremendous resource for the RIA space. At this year's Bob Barris's Insiders Forum Conference, Sean became the youngest ever recipient of the Iconoclast Award for his work with operations professionals throughout the RIA industry. 
During our interview, I asked Sean to discuss a book he had recently written with Greg Friedman of Private Ocean and Juncture fame called the Financial Advisor M&A Guidebook, which does a tremendous job of detailing the operational aspects involved in a merger of two RIAs. I have read and underlined and notated all throughout the book. I think it is a real gift. This is what Sean had to say about how the book came about. So Greg and I both have a, a passion for technology. And as we met and started having conversations, um, we also started just kind of comparing what our firms were doing. And yeah. the conversation about M&A just kept coming up. And um, you know, really, he felt that the industry didn't have a lot from the kind of you mentioned when firms decide to come together and then it's time to uh, execute on what's been decided. You know, that's where operations gets involved. And technology is a really big part of that. So as we've been talking about a lot of technology here in this conversation today, you can really see that every aspect that your firm decides to do, imagine, you know, marrying that up with somebody else. And certainly there are a lot of firms that are probably going to listen to this that have gone through it and they know that it's not a perfect science. Uh, there's, there's very much uh, experience, you know, learn as you go and experience that you get uh, as you talk to other firms and as you experience it yourself. So, you know, the two of us really like the idea of sharing things on a broader scale. Uh, certainly Hyphen has that as a part of its kind of core foundation, being able to share in a broad way. Um, so for us, for him, I'd say it maybe as a natural conclusion uh, that we, we needed to put a book out on this topic. With a focus on technology throughout the interview, Trevor detailed how Sequoia leverages technology to offer high-touch service to clients. Take a listen. And as you as you see more technology solutions coming out, it's it's starting to force us to change our mindset from uh, great client service, kind of white glove service, doing meaning that it, uh, that we do everything for the client. And it's not that we do everything to the client. That's not great client service. That's not white glove service. It's actually how do we empower the client to work with us the way that they want to work with us. Um, so that's where different technology tools like your client portal come into play. Uh, but then even internally, you know, how do we how do we do things like facilitate our client meetings? You know, are we printing off reports? Are we delivering things digitally and providing them a copy of that afterward through their through their client portal or even attaching it to an email if they prefer not to engage with us that way so they can continue to reference it and have it in a more secure location. Um, you know, it's, it's us following up after those uh, ongoing client meetings and whether they're in person or digitally, you know, having an automated process behind that that says, you know, we met with the client, here are the things we identified, here are the next best actions that we need to take, and here's how we execute on it. With episode four, we stepped out from the COOs we had highlighted in our white paper, and we turned to Stacy McKinnon, who I had mentioned earlier, and Tom Harms from Summit Trail Advisors. With Tom and Stacy, we covered a topic that is core to this podcast, and that is how does the COO fit into the broader structure of the organization? What do they see as their primary role and responsibility to the firm? Tom put it this way. My number one mission here is to is to build you know, help ensure that this uh, that Summit Trail Advisors is built on a sound foundation uh, and has individuals in place to, uh, you know, to last, you know, the next 10, 20 years, right? I'm not going to be here forever. And so the moment I got here, I, I've been thinking about building this out, um, uh, you know, as a legacy. And Stacy used a fantastic analogy to describe her role. When you read Traction, it's going to talk about how you have the CEO is a visionary um, and you have the COO as the integrator and allowing the CEO, in my case, I have two amazing co-CEOs that 
really can set the vision for the firm and help us move forward and grow. And they're very inspirational and everyone can look to them for where we're going as a company. But then in so many ways, my role is to integrate that vision into what actually happens in the day to day. So I talk about an analogy of our of a firm or advisory firm kind of being like a play on the stage. You have your advisors or the actors that are, and they're not really acting, but they're out on the stage and they're with the clients, they're defining their values, their goals, they're setting the strategy. But then equally important, you have sound and lighting and staging and makeup, and all of these things have to work together and cohesively in the best interest of the client. So while as a COO, I'm not necessarily the writer and the designer of the play, in so many ways, I'm the director of the play. I usually say that a COO is like an offensive lineman that is buried in the trenches. And unless you are really paying attention and you really understand the sport, you probably will miss all of the hard work that they're putting in play after play. But they make the quarterback, they make the running back, and the wide receivers look really good. So those three can wind up on SportsCenter every night. I like Stacy's comparison to a director of a play as well, with the advisors being the actors on stage. I just love that. With episode five, we were joined by Heather Fortner of Signature FD in Atlanta and Lucas Winthrop of Winthrop Wealth Management in Boston. Like Stacy, many of our listeners are familiar with Heather as she has done a lot to promote the COO role as well. Heather speaks at many industry events discussing the need for professional management at RIAs. With Heather and Lucas, we look to tackle a big problem for most COOs, and that is time management. How do you get through a seemingly insurmountable to-do list every single day, considering the number of tasks that are handed to the COO on a regular basis? Heather had a great way of thinking about it. So I really try to focus on managing my energies and not my time. I mean, my, my days are very regimented, but that's to manage home and my professional lives well. I've, um, mm-hmm. you know, very clearly tried to set aside boundaries of um, what is acceptable for home and what is acceptable for work so that I can honor both of those well. So, so just from a time blocking standpoint, my weeks and my days and my hours are, are very well intentionally um, blocked. And I, I schedule my calendar almost an entire year in advance just so that I can practice that intention. But I do really try to manage my energies more than I manage my time and and be cognizant of the things that are I am allowing to use my energies. And Lucas had this to say about his role as the COO. There's never a dull moment as a COO, whether it's related to technology or human capital or, you know, client related. There's always something interesting going on. And so I think as our job as COOs is really to, to enhance the operation, uh, work closely with the corporate planning and, and to carry out the vision. Episode six was exciting for me because for the first time we included a CEO in the discussion and we were able to ask Jeff Concepcion of Stratus Wealth Partners how he views the role of the COO and how adding professional management in both Lou Camacho as president and Nancy Andrewski as the COO slash CFO, how they've added to the organization. And I framed the question to Jeff by saying, don't you think most business owners view the COO role as an expense line on the P&L? And because the COO typically does not bring in clients to the organization, don't you think that most RIA owners don't really see the value? And Jeff had a perfect response. Take a listen. I'm going to 
politely challenge you, Matt, on semantics about most business owners, because I'm going to argue with you that 75% of the people in our industry are not business owners. They're mm. self-employed, and they may think of themselves as business owners, but they're really self-employed, right? Mm. And I think that's sort of that mental paradigm shift that you're talking about. The difference between someone who's self-employed and someone who, in fact, is a business owner is they think about reinvestment, and they think about growth, and they think about infrastructure, and they think about the redeployment of capital to create the ability for them to actually grow and build a business, which the self-employed advisor, that you know, well-known uh, term, the lifestyle practice, they don't think that way. They see clients, they generate revenue, and they, they end up with a paycheck at the end of the day. So I think even just beginning mentally to accept the notion that I'm running a business, if I was running any business, I'd have a salary, I'd have some retained earnings, I'd have a business plan, I'd think about what that next strategic hire is, be it a COO or someone to drive acquisitions or technology or HR. And then I asked Lou to tell us how their organization divides and conquers across their C-suite. This is what he had to say about how they determine who is going to run with which tasks, as everyone at the organization is always running at 100 miles an hour. I think the way that we've approached it, and I alluded to it earlier, is really just taking a look at where could each of us have an impact. So, you know, broadly, right, when we think about operations, so right now I oversee the firm's advisory operations and technology along with the firm's M&A strategy. But part of that strategy, right, is the operational infrastructure, the technology stack, and what we ultimately deliver to advisor, you know, as far as, you know, Nancy goes, right? You think about kind of the CFO, HR, marketing. She also oversees our business services group, and that's essentially our practice management arm. Um, and that's right. All those things are more to her skill set. You know, Nancy is probably the best I have ever seen with the numbers, and we trust her implicitly, right? When we're sitting down and negotiating transactions and making sure that the economics work, there's no one better than Nancy to oversee those things, right? But yet she's diverse enough, right? A lot of times when you have the number crunchers, they don't necessarily have the skill set to get involved in other aspects of the operations. But, you know, Nancy does. She does an excellent job on the HR, the marketing, and the business services side of things. So I think at this stage of the firm's evolution, we're still in a place where, right, we all have to wear multiple hats. And I think, you know, we're honest with each other. We sit down around the table and we simply decide, hey, look, you know, who's best equipped to execute on this and who can take this to furthest. And Nancy, as the CFO, she gave possibly my favorite answer to my favorite question about profit versus growth. Growth for growth's sake without dropping to the bottom line, it just creates needless complexity and keeps you running on a hamster wheel. So I think when um, when you're new and you're young, you kind of will chase any revenue because you're just you're trying to grow. Um, and, and that's understandable. You know, you'll make exceptions and, and you'll maybe go down paths you didn't think. Um, and, and, and stick to your core, but I'm just saying that in the very beginning, we didn't have really good metrics and insight into what was profitable. Um, and I think it's crucial, uh, absolutely crucial, to have a good understanding of the profitable business versus business that's neutral or negative to the bottom line. I somehow made it to episode seven before dropping a Jerry Maguire reference. Uh, I'm sure there will be many more in future podcasts. Um, I sat down with Heather Goodman of True Capital Management and Mark Delato of Massey Quick Simon. I've known both Heather and Mark for several years, and I really enjoyed this conversation a lot. We tackled one of my pet peeves, which is the fact that the term multifamily office is, in my mind, getting watered down in our industry because many people are using that term simply to say, we provide high-touch service. 
I'll, uh, I'll drop another movie reference right here from The Princess Bride. You keep using that term, multifamily office, but I don't think it means what you think it means. But both Heather and Mark definitely do. Both of their firms have been providing true family office services since before that term even existed. And here in episode seven, we discussed the various services both firms provide their clients. And then I asked Heather to explain how these services, above and beyond simple asset allocation and financial planning, can create a stickier relationship with the client. And she had this to say. I truly believe that when you are a full service family office, getting into the legal, the accounting, the tax, the business side of things, you really do create an environment that is very sticky, that centralizes you as the the key relationship in these families. And there isn't a need for additional investment managers or other people in their lives um, because you're so aligned on what's happening in their lives. Switching gears with Mark, we had him tackle another common topic on this podcast, which is what is the COO's role in the M&A process for firms looking to acquire? We believe that a successful buyer will have a robust infrastructure to offer sellers to get them excited about joining their organization. This is how Mark framed it. You know, when I when I look uh, and have conversations with selling advisors, a lot of their desire to be a part of a larger organization um, is that they're looking to leverage that that infrastructure scale, um, and because they're doing all of those things like technology expense people and you know they just don't have they don't have the time for it anymore and so when you you look at an organization you know like ours or like heather you you can you can see that we have the resources and the capabilities to do all those things and do them so very well that it doesn't make sense for you to allocate your time towards those. Episode eight wound up being one of my favorite episodes so far. And again, being the genius that I am, this was the one episode I was the most skeptical about heading into the interview. We had the opportunity to interview David Cantor and Scott Slater from Fidelity. And that is obviously an opportunity you don't pass up. But uh, at the same time, I was very nervous because neither David nor Scott are COOs sitting inside an RIA. And this obviously is the COO roundtable, so it felt a bit weird to me. But why it turned out to be such a valuable conversation was because instead of having successful COOs on to talk about all the great things they do at their organizations, which is very valuable, and I always think that that will provide a nice model or a goal for our listeners, but why this conversation with David and Scott was so great was the fact that we were able to take a step back and say, okay, where do things go wrong? When does the COO role not succeed at an RIA? David Cantor said during the interview that he pegs the failure rate for COOs within the RIA industry at 50% or greater. And unfortunately, I think he's right. Here's David's take on the struggle COOs face. I'm going to identify at least three issues. Number one is a failure to um, really do a fulsome sort of 360-degree review of the team at the advisory firms by the prospective COO. Because as you noted, Matt, it's not just about the the, the principal, the CEO, whomever that may be, or the the founders and principals, but it's the whole team. And so really getting the perspectives of the the entire organization, I think, is key. Um, So that's number one. It's look beyond just the existing leadership, but the folks who make the the, the firm run day to day. And it's really incumbent upon the prospective COO to do that due diligence, because remember, uh, it's sort of doing the job before you're in the job. 
Um, second, it's getting clarity in written form with the founders, the principals on what the role will entail. Uh, third, it's um, it's actually you know spending the first 90 to 180 days, and this is my view, by the way. This may not be the views of everyone, of of really getting a great understanding of of how the firm works and where the COO can make an impact. And I, I think that that's critical. You have to play for the long game, not the short short game. And and many small businesses really aren't set up or designed for that. And Scott framed the conversation really nicely, pointing out that COOs often don't realize or appreciate the fact that the COO role is really a political position and they need to really be strategic in how they approach their role. Take a listen to what Scott had to say. A lot of those elements, and that's pretty well known, but a lot of those elements are really about you know, trying to gain momentum by, as David's point, get some incremental wins, celebrate those wins, get people behind it, um, you know, in that listening that you're doing in the first uh, 90 to 100 days, you're looking for what are the problems that not just the leadership uh, struggle with, but what are others in the organization frustrated with? You know, is it something around uh, why they're not growing or is it certain bottlenecks? And can you help solve those and add value and create some wins that get, get political support behind you throughout the organization and then build on that and create more get the flywheel moving and, and build on, on that. Those are the people who are going to be more successful um, at this because they're really recognizing that their role as a change agent isn't to come in and be a bull in a china shop and really shake things up because most organizations, that's not what they're looking for. With episode nine, we were able to tackle one of my biggest goals for this podcast. I've already said it a few times here today, but I cannot hammer home enough the fact that the COO role is very much wrapped up in the culture of the organization. The advisors should be out of the office 90% of the time, meeting with clients and prospecting for more. The employees that are in the office day after day and responsible for servicing those clients, they need someone physically in the office every day that they can turn to for guidance to learn the ever-important message of who are we, what do we stand for as an organization, how do we do things here at XYZ RIA. In my mind, it's the COO that provides that guidance. And so we were so lucky to have Susan Dixon and Suzanne Williamson from Private Ocean as our guests for Episode 9. Private Ocean was recently named for the ninth time a best place to work. They take their culture very seriously. Susan, as the COO, she talked about the growth Private Ocean has experienced. When she joined the firm in 2005, they had $100 million in assets under management, and today they're over $2 billion. And so she talked about how important it has been to take care of the employees at all levels of the organization as they have faced the normal challenges that come with this kind of growth. You know, clients are both external and internal. And I think throughout the process of, of this growth that we've had, the most important thing has been to make sure that the people were taken care of as we went through a lot of challenges because it's, it's not just challenge for the leadership team. It's challenge for everybody in the firm. And Suzanne, as the director of client service, she talked about how her team's responsibility is not only to clients, but to the advisors as well. The client service team is really um, has two roles. It's supporting clients and it's supporting our financial advisors. So we meet weekly, religiously, we meet every week. We talk about best practices. We talk about how we can improve processes. Uh, we talk about new learnings that anybody had on the team. Um, it's a way to bring the group together so the remote, you know, the offices that aren't in our main headquarters, so they 
feel included in the process. Um, and we reach out to advisors. We, you know, we say, what can we take off your plates? What is time consuming for you, advisor? How can we, the client service group, better support you to deliver that excellent service to the client? Again, the COO's responsibility is to execute the founder's vision through people and technology. And those people and technology tools need to service the clients, the employees, and the firm as a whole. COOs are integral in both organic and inorganic growth initiatives being tackled by RIAs every day throughout our industry. We will continue to highlight the importance of professional management, the strategies and tactics being used by successful managers, and the need for our industry to continue to evolve from lifestyle practices to true enterprises. I hope you've enjoyed this trip down memory lane today. Uh, I hope it's inspired you to go back and listen to some of these full interviews as they are loaded with valuable insights that you can use and apply at your firms. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.